Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Derek Dombeck with me today. Derek is a part of a group, bestreifunding.com. And Derek's writing a book right now, and it's going to be at hopefully available at the first of the year. And he's avail- willing to give everybody a free copy. So shoot him a quick email at Derek at bestfunding.com. I'll make sure to have your email in the show notes, Derek. But Derek, I appreciate your time today as we talk about some negotiation skills and maybe the market and a few other things regarding funding deals. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for having me, Jack. This is going to be a lot of fun. I really enjoyed having these types of conversations. So it sounds like you've been in, seen a, quite a bit of market swings, ups and downs through your career. Let's just start things off with the elephant in the room. What do you think of the current economy and what should we expect? I think for about 1% to 2% of us, it's going to be Christmas time. And I think for 98% of the real estate investors across the country, they're going to get their uh, their butts kicked. That's just after going through the 2007 downturn, it won't be that bad, but there's, a, there's similarities for sure. What are some of the similarities you've noticed? The ironic part of, and I will preempt this with, I, I got my butt kicked in the 2007 downturn, so I'm not trying to speak ill of anyone else. I just learned from it. The similarities when when the lending space or the government started to regulate the banking industry and pull back on the pretender lender types of loans, the loans that got everybody in trouble in the late 2000s, it stabilized the markets. And if you look at the last five years, the government-backed loans have kept coming out with more and more programs to allow people to come back in and buy with very little down or zero down. And now you've got a bunch of people that overpaid at the top of the market with 0% down in a declining or even a flat market. They have no money if they have to sell that property. And that is going to create another wave of defaults, foreclosures, and that'll add more inventory into the market, which many people say there's a shortage of inventory. That's true to a point, but that's still regional, not national. So I think there's going to be some tough times ahead, but there's also going to be a lot of opportunities. Well, based on your experience then, what should people do to prepare themselves to be part of that 1-2% to take advantage of the situation? Learn how to buy properties without using the banks and without using a whole lot of your own cash. Controlling property, potentially without owning it, using leases, options, master leases, things of that nature. Buying property subject to, like when people ask me, what do you think about the bank rates? I said, I don't care. I don't use banks. I can go buy somebody's property subject to their 30-year fixed mortgage at 2 to 3% and cash flow it. I'm in Wisconsin, so we're in upper Midwest. We can still buy cash flow here. Not every house will cash flow, but we can buy a cash flowing property. And that's what it's really about for me is helping the people that are going through the struggles and challenges, which 
as I already mentioned, people that paid too much or they were at the top of the market with zero down, if they fall behind, can we go and catch up those payments and reinstate their loan and then take it subject to that helps them. And that's the only way I feel like it should be done. Like it's gotta be ethical and moral in, in benefiting them while it's benefiting us. I think the subject to concept is a buzzword. A lot of the people that listen to the show are relatively new to real estate investing. Would you mind taking a moment and explaining subject to and how that process works? Yeah. And subject to just to be a little bit clearer, it's a strategy. It's no different than if you went and borrowed money from the bank. It's just another way of purchasing. So I don't consider buying a property subject to, which I will explain, as being creative in and of itself. I believe creative deal structuring is when you take strategies and you stack them together to come to a solution for the seller. But subject to, just for anybody that doesn't know, it's just a you're buying the property with the existing financing staying in place. The deed does transfer. So ownership transfers. The loan does not get paid off. This does effectively trip the due on sale clause in virtually every mortgage has one. There could be an exception somewhere, but virtually every mortgage says if you sell the property, the the loan should be paid back. The way I explain it to people It's a contract clause. So you're not breaking the law by taking over this loan. It's a breach of contract. The bank has the right to then foreclose on the property if they find out about it. And I say if they find out about it because we're not asking their permission. Typically, I would buy that property in a trust. And there's a lot more details to that. So we're just going to keep this high level. But buy it in a trust. and The one thing I want to mention though, Jack, and I feel like this should be said more often, if you cannot afford to pay that loan off, if it got called due, do not do that deal. If you can't go and get other money or other financing or hard money or private money, because then you are putting that previous homeowner in harm's way. And at the last crash, I know a lot of people that had very big portfolios, they had bought subject to, and Markets crashed and they just walked away. And all of those previous homeowners that still had those loans on their credit got shafted. Now, that's interesting. And it's a good point that you just brought up there. I don't think a lot of people are do say that enough and give that type of warning. Some of this is going to have to do with negotiation, though, yeah. when you're talking to the seller and informing them and educating them on this type of process. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you handle objections when when you're presenting this as an option to a seller? Yeah. So for me, because of where I live and the market I work in, I typically do most of my negotiations over the phone because we buy property in a 200 mile diameter. So I don't want to be getting in the car and driving back and forth to houses that we would never be able to buy. Right. So typical scenario is phone call comes in to myself or my team, but in this case, I've trained my team, so I'll tell you how I've always done it. Within the first couple minutes of any phone conversation or face-to-face, if you can get face-to-face, I want to try and figure out what personality I'm really dealing with. For example, I am not analytical at all. I can, I'm a driver. I can make quick decisions on very little information, but if I'm talking to somebody that's very analytical, 
I want to shift how I talk to them. I want to talk to them the way that they are going to hear everything I'm saying. Okay. So I try and make that determination as quick as I can. If they're, if they're analytical, it's harder for me because that's the most polar opposite of me. If they're just like me, a driver, it's a very easy conversation. And if they're social or social conscious, which means they're more concerned about what's going to happen to their house or their property necessarily than what they're selling it for. You know, that person might have the neighbors that they've known for 30 years and they all raise kids together and they don't want this house to be turned into a rental because it's going to affect their neighbors. If they're talking about stuff like that, I'm going to, again, adjust my conversation accordingly. And we're going to key in on other high points. Okay. The other thing, Jack, is when I get somebody on the phone, again, within the first couple minutes, when it feels appropriate, I throw my elevator pitch out there and I think everybody should have one. I'll give it to you now. And I want your listeners to come up with their own. So it sounds natural and it's easy for them to say, but this is what opens up the conversation for all the questions I'm going to ask afterwards. And they don't get offended by the questions I'm going to ask. So Jack, you're the seller in this case. I would simply say, Jack, we buy houses in several different ways. All cash is not a problem, but that's usually going to be our lowest offer. If that doesn't meet your needs, we could look at taking over your payments if you have some debt, or if you don't have debt, we could make payments to you over time. Sometimes we just actually lease your property and put a document in place called an option, and we buy it at a future date. That comes into play a lot of times with landlords who are trying to offset capital gains taxes. I just want you to know I'm going to ask you some questions that most people probably wouldn't ask you, but it's really for me to help come to a solution to help you today. And elevator pitch, right? Now, three, four, five, six minutes later, when you're asking them, do you have any debt? What's your loan payment? They're not offended because you've already told them up front. You've overcome the objections up front. And you said, I'm going to ask you a bunch of these questions. Is that okay to ask you these? And it becomes a lot more fluid, a lot more fun. You know, the conversation, it's not supposed to be painful. A negotiation is not about who's going to win and who's going to lose. It should be about solving their problem. And I don't often tell them unless they ask what my needs are. If somebody asks and they're like, how much profit are you going to make on this flip? I'll tell them exactly what we target. That person is usually a driver just like me. So we're going to have a little bit of back and forth and a little sparring, which is fun. But that's how I set up every phone call, even if it's face-to-face over the kitchen table, same type of thing. And, uh, and then it's ask questions, have a conversation. And when you ask a question, shut up and let them talk. Do not cut them off until it's time to ask another question or they specifically ask you something. I see so many people just cutting people off. Yeah, it's a perfect scenario. I always heard when I was a kid, you got two ears, one mouth, use it in the in that proportion. But mm-hmm. it's actually true. You really got to learn to be quiet and let them talk. You've mentioned driver, social reasons, analytical. Is there a particular structure that you use to identify these different personality types? And what type of questions are you asking to determine which bucket to put them in? I think it just becomes second nature after a while. And when I really started focusing on this, Jack, was 
when I got my butt kicked after the markets crashed, there wasn't a bank in the world that would touch me. And I started realizing that I, first of all, I needed to learn how to buy properties without using banks. So I needed to learn creative deal structuring. But as I was losing my portfolio and had creditors hounding me and everything else, I learned how to talk to people. And it's one of my pet peeves, your listeners and my friends and myself, we all spend a bunch of money to go to a seminar or YouTube or wherever we're getting our real estate information. And we're all looking for the sexy topics, how to wholesale and make $10,000 within 30 days, how to fix and flip 10 properties a month, whatever it is, some sexy topic. Nobody takes any time to learn how to actually negotiate and talk to people, which is something you use every day, every hour of the day that you're awake. I don't care if you're having a conversation with your spouse, your children, you're with an attorney, a banker, a contractor. The list is endless. Everything is a, no a negotiation. It really is. Just try and get your kids to go to bed on time at night is a negotiation. Mm -hmm. And most of parents who give in lost that negotiation every day. So when you start realizing that, Jack, and you start, for me, it was taking notes. I would record my phone calls and I'd go back and listen to them. And I would pay attention to my tone of voice, the words that were coming out of my mouth, my body language, their body language. If I could see them like on a Zoom call, I can still read body language their tone of voice. You know, there's a lot of neuro-linguistic trainings out there that are really dry and boring and hard to read and listen to. I certainly use all those, but I don't like saying I use neuro-linguistic tactics. But mirroring and matching and trying to find rapport, but not in a creepy kind of way, is very important. And the thing is, when you learn how to do all this, it can be used to be manip manipulative and dangerous, right? Like our goal is to lead somebody down a path and guide them to a path that we predetermined is a good path for them to help them out of their real estate challenge. And I want to lead them to the path, down the path, so that they come to the conclusion on their own in their mind. So let's go back to subject two. If I'm leading somebody down a path of subject two, I've got to talk about the negatives along with the positives. I've got to talk about what happens with a due on sale clause. We've got to talk about what happens if they file bankruptcy or they end up in a divorce or anything that puts them in court where the sale of that property could be challenged. We've got to talk about what happens if I don't make the payments and or I don't pay the taxes or I don't keep up the property. But we're doing that in such a way that we're overcoming objections ahead of time before they even ask them, but we're leading them down a path to where at the end of that conversation, many times they're going to say, that sounds like a great idea. I think, I think we should do that. They're not saying yes. They're actually saying, I think that's the best scenario for us. It's, it could be manipulative if it was used negatively. Yeah. No, it is interesting, especially when you start to understand and leverage these type of tools that you're talking about. I use this example every once in a while because I, I wouldn't call it manipulative, but you're in a situation. I About a year or so ago, I was looking for a different car 
And I realized that I started doing things that I didn't even realize I was doing it on purpose, but I'd get into the car with the car dealer or the car salesperson for the test drive. And by the time I got back, I knew how that person was incentivized. I knew how close they were to their goal. I knew how important the sale was to them. It was, I wasn't the, the average participant in that sale at that point. Absolutely. And you became closer to them and they felt closer to you, which mm-hmm. turns it into a, not a creepy car salesman scenario. It turns it more into a family or a friendship. And we get Christmas cards from many people that we have bought properties from over the years. And I bought a property in, gosh, actually I could put it on camera right now. It's laying next to my desk. I bought a property in August and the sellers had to bring a $23,000 check to closing to pay off the remainder balance of their debt. And they wrote me the nicest thank you card because that deal, the owner, I'm sorry, the mortgage holder who secured the loan was a father to a deceased son. The deceased son's family was still living in the house, but not paying and not taking care of the house. So he had propped up his son and his daughter-in-law for 20 years, giving them money, constantly giving them money, keep a roof over their head. His son dies. His daughter-in-law won't let him see the grandchildren, wants nothing to do with them, but still wants him to pay for everything. So ultimately, I had to get her to sign the deed, which she did, but he's 83 years old, had to come up with $23,000 and sends us a thank you card, that's the first time he's had peace of mind in over 20 years. That came from us caring with uh, all parties involved and asking questions, leading them down a path. That didn't cut. You don't find a creative deal. You don't find a good deal. You create them. You make them through conversations, right? There's no MLS for creative deals, a special place to go look for them. It starts with conversations. Just to remind everybody, head over to or shoot a quick email to Derek at bestreifunding.com to take advantage of Derek's generous offer for that free book. What is your book going to be about? Is it going to be regarding the no negotiation uh, or nope? The book is about the lending business. It's it doesn't have a title yet. We're actually throwing some different titles around. I, I was joking, I was on a different podcast the other day and I said, Yeah, it's the rednecks guide to private money. I don't think that's going to be the actual title, but it's, I started out as a construction worker, started flipping houses, rental properties, and ended up co-owning a very, a very good lending company that does very well. Anybody can do it, but there's never been a source for the common person to just go and pick up a book and A to Z, how does this work? And we had to learn through trial and error. And actually, Jack, I'm going to give away two books because I'm co-authoring a second book with a bunch of other really cool people. And that's being published by a guy named Kyle Wilson, who was Jim Rohn's business partner for 19 years. He was the man behind Jim Rohn, if you're familiar with Jim. So so I'm going to give both of those electronic versions away to anybody that sends me an email, just says, hey, I saw you on Jack's show. Throw me on that list. When the books come out, we'll send them, send the e-version out to everybody. That's great. I appreciate you doing that. And then uh, again, you have this seminar or mastermind that's going on here in February. Now I understand we're neighbors. I'm up near Fargo, North Dakota. 
I'm going to be coming your way in a couple of weeks, sir. <laughs> oh, really? So maybe we'll have to meet up, but gowvoyage.com, what made you start that and, and pick the location? I'm guessing because of the winter months, that's a silly question. So we had gone to a conference that was hosted by friends of ours, or they became good friends of ours for seven of eight years, and they used to have it on a cruise ship. And they got to a point where they aged out and didn't want to run it anymore. And they voluntold us that we should take <laughs> it over, which we, resi we resisted for a while. Also happened to be 2020. So there's a few challenges during that year, if we remember. So we took it over. We changed the name to Generations of Wealth because it was their generation handing it down to us. And the way it's structured, we have speakers that are not pitching from the stage. This is all content, advanced type of stuff from nine until one each of five days. And then one o'clock until through dinner is open networking. Like this is really heavily focused on getting to know the other people there. And then we come back, we've got two-hour town hall sessions each evening, which are more interactive. But we encourage people, and this is where we're different. I've never found a conference like it. We encourage people to bring their children, especially if they're 10 and older. We don't charge you anything extra to have those kids involved. They can sit in as much or as little as they want. And the goal is not for them to learn these advanced real estate strategies. The goal is for them to build a network with other kids in their preteen and teen years who have parents that are freaks like us that don't mm -hmm. conform to what they learn at school. Mm -hmm. So I have three children, 16, 11, and five years old. My 16 and 11 year old, they are involved in everything. And especially my 16 year old, she has got a network of people across the country, currently in about six different states. And these kids still physically write letters to each other. They use social media as well, of course, but they've now known each other for several years and they're growing up together. And technically, if you ask one of my good friends, my daughter is engaged to another fine young gentleman from Colorado. I am not saying that's true and I do not agree with it, but <laughs> it's the families getting to know each other. It's become, honestly, it is a family. Yeah. Generations of Wealth is just that. It's a great place to come. It's not a huge event. We'll cap it. It's going to be in Cancun in in February because I'm from Wisconsin. You're from North Dakota. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. And we'd love to have you or your listeners or anybody that, that really wants to take their business to that next level and get to expand their network. Check it out. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Derek, we didn't spend a ton of time on the lending aspect of this, but could you briefly touch on what does your company do to help real estate investors when it comes to that? funding their properties or projects? Yeah, so we're short-term regional lenders. We, we only lend in the state of Wisconsin. The way the business came about, we were flipping houses and raising private capital. My current business partner, Jeff, and I met in 2012, I believe it was, and started our business. And, and he had already dabbled in lending a little bit, just a few loans here and there. But we got to a point where we were raising more money than we had deals. And we didn't want our investors to go somewhere else. And we had a, started to build a large network across our state through the RIAs and just doing some speaking and teaching. So we had other people that needed the money. So we became facilitators. And it's an arbitrage business. We pay our investors 9% return on their money. We lend it out at 12%. And 
It's at hard money rates, six month terms. But we're proud of the fact that we are still 100% privately funded. There's zero institutions with their thumb on us that can dictate what we can and can't do. We don't sell off our loans at this point. A lot of hard money lenders, especially on the national level, they're originating the documents and the paperwork and it goes to closing. And before the ink is dry, it's sold off to a hedge fund. Who does that borrower call? Not if, but when they have a challenge down the road. People have been going over budget on their rehabs. It's been taking longer to sell. It's been taking longer to get their rehabs done. If that note was sold to an institution, they don't care. If they're going to turn it over there to their attorney and they're going to foreclose and take it away from you. So we've really focused on being that, that partner to them more than their lender. And there's a reason we call it best REI funding. We, we truly try to be the best with the customer service. No, I appreciate you giving us that summary, and it's really interesting. You could come back and spend an entire episode just talking about that part of your business. Take advantage of what Derek offered again, Derek at bestreifunding.com. I'll make sure to have that email address in the show notes as well as the URL to your upcoming event. But Derek, I do have a few rapid-fire questions as we close this one out. All right, hit me. Here is a chance for you to bust any real estate investing myth that's driving you crazy, what one is it? Real estate investing myth, gosh, it's not so much a myth as it is a pet peeve. I cannot stand when people use their personal homes as a piggy bank and leveraging it and risking it. And I say this because I did the same thing. And so this myth of going out there and taking out lines of credit and when you're using that money to flip houses or to buy other properties, it's fine until the music stops. The musical chairs, they always pull away a chair. That music stops at the wrong time and your family home is up, it's jeopardized. I think that's just foolish. And there's so many people out there on social media and the big chat forums talking about how brilliant this is the best thing since sliced bread. I think it's, I think it's terrible. You're the first person to say that, Derek. So I appreciate Not surprised. it. surprised. What book would you recommend or what are you reading right now? My favorite books, going back to when I was really trying to learn how to talk to people and negotiate, there's two books by Oren Claff. One is called Pitch Anything, and then his follow-up to that was Flip the Script. And it's very heavily talks about how to, how to control every social interaction using frame control. So if I was in a social interaction with a police officer that pulled me over, and they were going to give me a speeding ticket, I have very little way of overcoming and becoming the alpha in that scenario, right? They have all the authority. So uh, it's all about that type of stuff. How do you become the one that is always in control of every social interaction using frame control? Interesting. I'll have to check those out. I think I actually have pitch anything in my Audible library. Was- I'm a bit of a digital hoarder. I just haven't yeah. gotten to it yet. That was his first one. So I would read that one first and then go to flip the script because he'll just build on it afterwards. Okay, cool. What is your biggest real estate investing or business mistake and what did you learn from it? 2005 and six, going into a market in, in for me, it was Florida, went into the Florida real estate market, got caught up in the hype of building new construction, didn't I had people there that I met that 
were my boots on the ground until the markets crashed. But the biggest lesson I learned was I used banks for everything and we had zero control over our business when the market shifted and when the banks shut down and our relationships were gone. Now, those people were fired, walked out the door, banks were taken into receivership. To me, creative deal structuring, learning how to buy property without using a bank should be number one. The bank should be number two or even three. Okay. It's time for a little fun. What's your favorite movie? I'm a racing guy. Back in the day, it was definitely Days of Thunder. Grew up racing stock cars. And now I own Bucking Bulls. So I'm more of a rodeo guy and the movie Eight Seconds, which is an older movie already, but I like those types of movies. Yeah, that was one of my wife's favorites. She really liked that movie when it came out. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Start earlier. Yeah, I hear that. That's probably the most common answer I get. Yep. And so, oh, no, go, go ahead, ahead Derek. No, I was going to actually close things out by asking if there was a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today. No, I love the, these types of podcasts where we can just have a conversation and see where it goes. I can talk about creative deal structuring and negotiating and all these things at great length, but it's much more fun when it's with somebody that's got legitimate questions instead of just a mm -hmm. lecture. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I appreciate your time. You're welcome back anytime, Derek. I hope you'll take me up on that offer. Again, it's Derek at bestreifunding.com. Shoot him a quick email if you'd like to take advantage of the free book offer and uh, gowvoyage.com. And I'll make sure to have all of those corresponding links in the show notes. So head over to reimastermind.net for that. Thanks again, Derek. We'll hope to talk to you again sometime. Thank you so much, Jack. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.